Should I join an independent broker dealer first or should I go straight to the RIA model? That is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is question number 62. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, if you are not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all of the resources I put out there, this entire question and answer series in video format or podcast format, if you prefer that. I also have white papers all kinds of resources to help you better understand the RIA model. Again, transition to RIA.com. Okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about, you know, if you're maybe in that, uh, that employee model now or that wirehouse model now and you want to make a move more to an independent channel, should you go to an independent broker dealer or should you go to the RIA model? And so kind of what got me thinking about making this episode was, uh, I recently did an episode you might have you might have caught uh, about the differences between that wirehouse, that W two model, and the RIA model. Went through a number of those different variables. I encourage you to check out that episode as well. Uh, and so I thought, okay, well maybe I should do one kind of along the same lines of well, what's the differences between the independent broker dealer model and the RIA model, and, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about here. But the the kind of backstory on it is, is I do have a lot of conversations with advisors that are in that, that wirehouse W2 type model, and they do want a more independent approach. They do want to move into a more independent model. And, and sometimes the default reaction they have is, well, I, maybe I should do the independent broker dealer model first uh, and then move into the RA model. They, they kind of, the, the, the phrase I, I sometimes hear is, oh, that maybe it's a step too far to go from, from, from this kind of captive employee model all the way to the RA model in their in their mind, um, and and I usually challenge that. I'm going to say, okay, well, why why is that? Why why do you feel you might need this kind of stepping stone to get to where you admittedly yourself say, hey, I eventually want to get into that RA model for all the the benefits and whatnot that come with it. So on this episode, I want to go into some of the reasons that I am given as to why folks sometimes kind of assume, hey, I should go to that independent broker dealer model first before I get to the RA model. So in, in no particular order here, but a, but a couple of them I wanted to go through. So the first one is the commission piece. So if you have, if you look at your, your book of business, your practice, and, and you say, okay, of my production, how much is, of that is advisory assets and how much is commission assets or, or, or revenue from those assets? And and so certainly there is a point where it, it might make sense to go to the independent broker dealer model, not just initially, but maybe maybe forever in your case. And so uh, a big misconception, and I've talked about this on a number of episodes, is this thought that, oh, you have to be 100% fee only to go into the RA model. And that's absolutely not the case. Uh, I've done all kinds of episodes, one specifically on kind of explaining the hybrid approach uh, the most a, a recent episode I did on it is, hey, if you do have commission business, what are the different solutions you can you can use to accommodate that in the RA model? So there absolutely are pathways and solutions to go into that RA model if you still have commission business. Now that said, the the, the fee based part of your business still needs to be 
the main part of your business kind of now and, 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 and especially what you hope to do going forward. So there's no specific hard line in the sand that, oh, if you have at least X percent, then, then it makes sense because every, every situation is unique. Um, simple rule of thumb, if I had to give a number, is, is you, to go into the RE model, it, it does make more sense to probably be at least 70%, give or take fee-based, um, to, to make that move. Uh, and, and you can go up and down that scale a little bit. Uh, but for instance, and just an extreme example, if you are, for whatever reason, the circumstances, 30% fee-based and 70% commission, yes, you can still thread that needle in the RA model. And there is a way to accommodate that 70%. But the reality is your practice is primarily commissions if that is your breakdown. And arguably that independent broker-dealer, the broker-dealer being the commission part, is probably better suited to support the needs of a practice like yours. However, if it's the inverse, if you're 70% fee-based and 30% commission or, or, or some, uh, again, kind of variation of that, and, and particularly, certainly the higher you go up in fee-based, the RA model becomes even more appealing at that. So that is kind of one decider is what is the, the breakdown between fees and commissions in your practice, both now and then going forward. And so typically, I, I don't recall ever talking to an advisor that, that told me what their current breakdown is and said, hey, in the future, I hope to increase the commission piece and, and decrease the fee base. That, that trend is only going in the other direction. So if you, if you are maybe 60% fee-based and 40% commission now, it might still be worth looking at if, you're, if your continual plan going forward is to convert more of that commission business into fee-based and, and, and get towards that more fee-based heavy practice. So uh, th that is a consideration though. And again, if you, if you don't have any desire anytime soon, if ever, to give up a large part of your practice as commission-based business, that independent broker-dealer model is perhaps best for you uh, as opposed to trying to jump directly to the RA model. So it is fair to point that out that the independent broker-dealer model typically will be the better path for that particular kind of advisor. Uh, so then the next uh, kind of counterpoint I hear from advisors with that, that have that hesitation, oh, I should, should do this halfway step to the independent broker dealers. They say, oh, it's, it's too risky, or, or they ask, isn't it, isn't it more risk to go all the way to that RA model? Maybe it's a little less risky if I just go to this independent broker dealer model. Um, and and I, I challenge them, I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean by risk? Now, the reality is both the independent broker dealer model and the RA model, you will be independent. You will have more responsibilities than you likely have now if you're a W-2 employee type firm. You will have to uh, arguably or most likely pay for your own office and your staff, and, and you will be a small business owner. So there is additional risk in that sense. And that's part of the the consideration steps you have to go through to say, hey, do I want to go down a path of independence? And as I'm always a, a straight shooter, it is not for everyone. There are some advisors that it's just always going to be a better fit to be in that, that W-2 type environment. But for those that are willing to take on those responsibilities and the, and the, the, the new challenges of being in the independent model, then you say, okay, well, is it, is it really any more risky in the RIA model than the independent broker-dealer model? And I do hear that, that, that assumption that's there. And so usually the, the counterpoint I make is, well, let's, let's think about it. So what, what's the worst that could happen? You have uh, a client sue you, perhaps, or client take issue with something. So in the independent broker-dealer model, that, is, that risk is mitigated by your errors and omissions insurance, E&O insurance. Well, guess what? In the RIA space, you have E&O insurance as well. And actually, while it's not necessarily required 
Um, perhaps some states require it that I'm not familiar with, but, but at the SEC level, it's not outright required. More and more custodians are required. It's certainly best practice. And so, so assuming you follow that best practice, you will have E&O insurance in the RIA model as well. So why, again, is that any more risky? It's not. You, you just have to be able to perhaps cover your deductible, which you would be faced with both in that independent broker-dealer model and the RIA model. So you, you can kind of take that risk off the table. Um, and then I threw back and said, hey, look, you might think, well, what happens if I have a rogue employee and a rogue employee steals somehow from clients? Why not? Well, guess what? If, if you have that problem, it's it's not going to matter what model you are in. That is going to be a serious problem for you. And, and the, the arguably, the, there's no more greater risk in the RA model of what the ramifications would be that than they are in the, employee, the uh, independent broker-dealer model. And even in that employee model, it's still likely going to have very significant challenges for you if one of your team members ended up doing something very bad like that. So the risk, and again, that's the the black sheep risk, but but the, there's no more of that sort of risk, say, in the RA model. So when you, you start to kind of think about what would make it more risky, and, and I, I would challenge you to say, why, why do you think the RA model is more risky for you as the advisor than the independent broker-dealer model? And when you start to think it through, there's generally not. And, and, and again, each advisor situation is unique, so maybe I shouldn't paint a broad, broad uh, brush with it. Um, but by no means default to assuming that it's that it's less risky or safer in that independent broker dealer space. And I'd even to prove that point, I'd give you a, a counterpoint on that, that some could argue you're maybe more risky in the independent broker dealer space. And the analogy I would use, you hear this a lot with, with entrepreneurs or the idea of entrepreneurship and, oh, someone's going to leave a job at a corporation and go out and start their business. And, oh, that's that's so risky to go be an entrepreneur because, oh, oh gosh, it might not work out. And the, and the reality is the, the, the counterpoint to that argument is, yeah, but the entrepreneur kind of has control over their destiny to a degree. And they have hopefully multiple customers, multiple clients over time for whatever their service is. And if they lose one particular customer or client, hopefully that's not going to put them under because they've got all these other clients to kind of back them up. Whereas if you work for a corporation, you're an employee of a corporation, all your eggs are in one basket. If that corporation decides to do layoffs or, or just fire you or whatever the case is, let you go, you're done. You're out. You don't have any say in that. And so, so to the argument being, was well, entrepreneurship really that much more risky when today's day and age, there is no loyalty by companies to their employees. They could just let you go uh, on a whim's notice. Uh, so there's risk there as well. So the, 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 uh, the analogy or how that ties back to our industry is if you are at a broker dealer, particularly one with say 10,000 advisors or whatever the case is, if that broker dealer feels you now present too much of a risk for them, for whatever the case may be, they will have no problem terminating their affiliation with you, sometimes on very short notice, sometimes immediate with immediate effect. Other times it might be, hey, you have 30 days, which of course is going to upend your, your career trajectory no matter what. Um, and, and an example I'd give that just because it happens to be in the news recently, um, there was a, and I won't name the firm because I don't think it was, it had nothing to do with the firm, but there was an advisor. He uh, went into a smoothie shop uh, up in New England somewhere, I think it was. He made some horribly uh, distasteful comments to the employees. They caught it on tape. Uh, the, the guy seems to be a, a very bad guy. I'm not defending the guy at all. Like I say, horrible comments he made. 
his firm, his broker dealer, who he had been with for, for, I believe it was over 20 years, fired him within 24 hours, I think it was. Less than 24 hours after this news came out, they had already fired him. Now, from what the video is, the guy's a horrible guy, in my opinion. The guy likely deserves to be fired after all the details. I don't know all the details, but from, from the initial glance, I, I get why that was the final result is that they said, hey, we're terminated in our relationship with this individual. But the fact that they did it in under 24 hours is, is what is a little frustrating because how much time did that really have to, to gather all the facts and think things through? And the reality was, no, that firm said, hey, no one advisor is going to give us a bad name or a bad look. And I don't care how long they've been with us. I don't care how much revenue they make. I don't care how human that person is or what the circumstances were. They just let that person go in under 24 hours. And, and even if the thought is, oh, well, that advisor now might sue us, the big firm has way more resources to ride out any sort of litigation and pay for legal costs than, than any one individual will. And so again, I'm not defending that guy. If you've seen that story, that, that the video is horrible, um, probably did deserve to be fired, but, but it just proves the point that, that firms, and just the fact they did so quickly, firms will have no problem kicking you to the curb if they feel you present an unnecessary risk to them, or by the way, possibly someone in management that oversees your territory, your region, if they feel that you might do something or you become a liability and they think it will per uh, personally hurt their career trajectory, they might make a decision to let you go as well. And, and you really don't have much recourse on that. So, so to think that, oh, that RA model is, is more risky, I'd even challenge you that Hey, with you, when you're with that large broker dealer, and yeah, I know 99% of advisors don't even come close to something that could become a terminable offense. But over the years, I've, I've come across and uh, been exposed to a lot of scenarios, much less than this whole crazy smoothie shop incident, that it was more of a judgment call and, and was the advisor actually maybe uh, do, trying to do the right thing or whatever the case is. And, and the firm says, you know what, too much risk, let that, let that advisor go, sometimes with immediate effects. So there's always risk there, arguably maybe even more risk in that independent broker-dealer model from, from the perspective of controlling your own destiny as an advisor. Uh, moving on, the next, the next topic is about uh, compliance. So sometimes I hear the argument of, well, I don't wanna go directly into that RA model because won't I have to pay for my compliance or do my own compliance? Um, I've done a lot of episodes talking on this topic of compliance. And, and one of the things I always point out um, when anyone says, well, I have to pay for my own compliance in that RA model, well, there's a couple of things. One, you are already paying for compliance now. I don't care what firm you're at or what affiliation model you are with, whether W-2, independent broker dealer, RA, whatever, you are paying for compliance. You just might not get an itemized check that shows you exactly what you're paying for compliance. So if you're at that wirehouse, that W-2 firm, you're paying for compliance. It's just buried in that payout that the firm retains, the portion that they retain. A piece of that is to pay for compliance. So don't think you're not paying for compliance. Um, now, in the RIA space, people say, oh, gosh, I, I have to do it. I, I don't know how to do it. I'm not a compliance person. I don't want to be a compliance person. Well, there's a defined process and a defined way to manage that responsibility I've done, I've done episodes on this as well. There's specialty compliance consultant firms that you hire to help you fulfill that responsibility. That's their sole focus, the sole thing they help you with. Thousands upon thousands of RIAs successfully do this every single year. They rely on these consultants, help them with this process. So it's absolutely manageable. Yes, you will have to pay them, but again, you're paying for your compliance now. But one of the big differences of when you're in that RA model, if you have your own RA, you're paying a compliance consultant firm to help you is in that case, possibly 
uh, or usually for, for most advisors when they first move into the REA space, for the first time in their career, the advisor is actually the client now of the compliance apparatus. And so what I mean by that is if you're at a big firm now and, and you have a question about something uh, for, to compliance, whether you can or can't do something or you need something approved and you send it in, if they don't get back to you right away or there's a delay or you get an answer and then you get a different answer from someone else, you, you don't have much recourse over that. Uh, you can complain about it. You can try to escalate it. But at the end of the day, you don't really have any control. Of the only control you, you potentially have is just up and leave the firm altogether because you're so dissatisfied with it. But other than that, you don't really have any control over it. Whereas in that RIA model, if you're working with a compliance consultant firm, which you have hired, you are the client of the compliance consultant firm. If they are not responsive to your needs, if, if they are not willing to think through solutions for you of how to, how to solve for things you'd like to do with your practice, well, guess what? You can fire your compliance consultant firm and hire someone else. Now, I always point out when I, when I give that example, you do need to listen to these folks. They, you are paying them to have them help you stay out of trouble, to stay within the, the rules of the road. But to the degree they are not providing good service, they're not responsive or any of those sorts of things, you actually have control in the RA model to replace them with someone else. So they have to work hard to retain your business. And I would just challenge you, how many of the compliance people back at the home office of your large firm, and by the way, at the, at this, at the early years of my career, I was one of those folks, so I'm not trying to knock those folks, but how many of those folks think of, think of you as their client? You know, if I don't get back to someone, I don't return their voicemail, or their email here quickly, it's gonna, it's the the, the client is gonna be unhappy. I, it's, it's unfortunately that's not the culture, that's not the mentality that's there. Um, and the, then the last thought on on compliance is to the degree that this all still concerns you or, or gives you pause. Well, you always have the option to join an existing RIA. I did a whole episode on why you might want to join an RIA versus starting your own. And part of the reason you might join one is because you outsource the compliance responsibility to them to manage. So just know that is an option as well to the degree you don't want to manage it yourself. You can outsource it to someone else to do on your behalf. Um, and then kind of related to compliance is uh, just all of the other operational kind of administrative kind of things of, of running an RIA. So that's things like set up the tech stack. I did a whole episode on that. Maybe doing your client fee billing, um, you know, those sorts of things. Putting all, to, putting all the different resources you need together to be able to service the client and, and provide the, 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 the different uh, tools and services that you, that you intend on providing to them. You say, well, I don't want to have to piece all that together. And, and that one of the big benefits of the RA model, if you start your own, is the flexibility to build it however you want to build it. But it also become also with that comes the responsibility of having to piece that together. And it's very doable. That's something I help advisors with all the time is, hey, okay, let's build all this out. And what are the pieces and who are the vendors and why you might pick one over the other? But to the degree you say, oh, I, I don't want to do that either. And the independent broker dealer world just kind of does all that for me. Well, the RIA model has evolved to the point where there are all kinds of solution providers now where you can bundle up a lot of those, those kind of operational administrative, quote unquote, middle back office tasks and, and just go to one provider that does a lot of those non-client facing tasks for you. So know that that, that whole apparatus exists as well. So the thought that, oh, I, I don't want to go RIA, I should, I should stop short and just go independent broker deal because I don't want to do all that stuff. No, there's absolutely a way to accommodate all of that in the RA model as well. 
Um, so don't let that be a deterrent of, of why the independent broker dealer model should be your, your, your starting point or your end point because you, you think it's not possible to have those solutions in the RIA model. So that's just a couple variables. I, I, I could certainly go on other ones, but I, the, the idea is I want to just give you some, some things to think about of, of why don't, don't just assume that, oh, that's a step too far to go to the RA model and I, I should stop kind of at the halfway point of the independent broker dealer model. Again, for some of you, depends on your circumstances, that might be the best fit. But for many of you, arguably, you should take that final step. And, and it's usually just misconceptions about how it all works that, that, that kind of gives people pause. Um, and, and so kind of related to that, the, the, the way to look at this from a big picture is if you're at a wirehouse W-2 type firm now, employee firm, uh, and you want to move into the independent firm, no matter whether it's whatever flavor of independence, I'll just leave it at that. The, the, the exercise you want to mentally go through, and I, I make an RA, I have a checklist on this. If you'd like to, to see the checklist, reach out to me. I'm happy to share it with you. Um, that basically the exercise of going independent is to say, hey, what, what does my current firm provide for me now? And how will I replicate that on my own? So that's things like technologists, things like E&O insurance. Uh, that's things like having a custodian to hold the assets. And so if you're at a, a W-2 firm now, they're providing all those things. So that the exercise is, okay, well, how do I replicate that on my own? And so as you go through that exercise and you consider okay, as your options for independence, that, that independent broker-dealer model or the RIA model, what I would say is just ask yourself, if your business now is primarily fee-based, 70, 80, 90% plus fee-based, and, and it's, only gonna, it's only gonna increasingly go down that path, and you go out there and look at, okay, what are the options in that independent world? Are you better off leaning on solutions or firms or affiliation models that, that are primarily built originally and historically off of a, off of a broker-dealer commission mindset, and, and they're now trying to adapt to the RIA wave that is coming, the fee-based wave that continues to come? Or do you want to look at solutions that from the very start were built to accommodate that fee-based advisor? So that the world has evolved um, to the point where just increasingly more and more advisors, an increasing part of their book is this fee-based uh, part of it. So as you look at the solutions, again, most in, we're all independent broker dealers, literally by the name that we still call them, historically were primarily commissioned and they continue to evolve to the point where ironically now they actually have more in fee-based assets than commission assets, yet we still call them independent broker dealers, but their legacy uh, technology, their legacy uh, the, the, the knowledge at the home office, the, the just decades of kind of backstory there is built off of this commission FINRA broker dealer mindset. They're having to adapt that and they're working hard at it. Or do you just want to go straight to the solutions that already 100% support the fee-based advisor from the start? They were built to do that one thing. So again, just keep that in mind as you think about well, which path, which solution, there, there's some that literally were built from the start to accommodate that more fee-based advisor, whereas others are having to adapt to it. So something to think about uh, as well. And, and just my final thought on this topic, I, I, and I wrote an article on this a little while back, I think it's going to be increasingly difficult for the independent broker dealers out there. And, and what I mean by that is, is the uh, typical advisor, right? The stats show it is going more and more fee-based with their practice. As I just mentioned a little bit ago, most uh, all large independent broker dealers now 
actually have more of their assets are actually in fee-based accounts than, than commission accounts. So that, that trend continues to shift, yet, yet we still call them independent broker-dealers. And the, the challenge is, and I'll give you a perfect example, um, and this is obviously the, 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 the most extreme or ideal example for it, but I, I definitely hear these kind of stories all the time. But talking to an advisor that's already at an independent broker-dealer firm, uh, roughly 98, 99% fee-based already, uh, because they're already independent, they're already running their own local PL, they're already responsible for their own office, their own staff, all that stuff. They, they've already accepted and managed all that responsibility. And they now find themselves 98, 99% fee based. Again, extreme example. You don't have to be that much. And, and they ask me when they're talking to me, well, so why should I still be in the independent broker dealer model? And there, there really isn't a good reason for that. Why are they still attached to FINRA? Why are they still having to play by broker dealer rules? All those sorts of things. And I think the, the independent broker dealers themselves are going to have a very hard time in the years to come because how do you explain to that advisor that's, and again, it's an extreme example. You don't have to be anywhere close to this to still make it possibly worth your while to look at the RA model, but that is 98%, 99% fee-based of why they should continue to stay in that broker dealer FINRA world where they're paying a, a payout or, or they're, they're, they're having their uh, uh, payout reduced because the broker dealer's taken their portion on all of their assets, their advisory assets as well, when, when they're almost entirely fee-based. I don't know of a good explanation for, for an independent broker dealer to tell that advisor of why they should stay put in. And I don't think they're able to come up with them. And that's why you see the trend continue of many of those folks continuing to migrate into the RA model. Uh, I will give you two examples though of where I think independent broker dealers are trying to manage that. Um, and, and I won't name names to protect the, the, the innocent or I guess the guilty, um, but there is one large independent broker dealer that I know of that, and I, and I give them credit for this. They know they're multi-channel firm. They no longer call their quote unquote independent broker dealer channel by that name. And I, I think historically for decades they, they had, um, and that's what the external folks look at. Oh, that's their independent broker dealer channel. They now refer to it as the corporate RIA. And what they mean by that is not that those are folks that are 100% fee only, but they're acknowledging that, wow, well more than 50% of the assets on our, on our channel here are fee-based assets, not broker-dealer assets. So why do we keep calling this thing an independent broker-dealer? We're really primarily an RIA and the commission assets are kind of an accommodation alongside that. So I think it's actually forward thinking of them to now refer to it is for advisors that want to join that channel. Hey, join our corporate RIA, which is a variation of, as opposed to starting your own RIA. Again, you can join an RIA like I talked about. And so they're putting out, you know, their offer and saying, hey, we have a corporate RIA. We'd like to tell you about it, what our value proposition is. And you can join that. And by the way, to the degree you do still have some commission business, here's how we can accommodate that with our broker dealer kind of here on the side. But we think of ourselves as an RIA first. And I give them credit for that. I think most all other independent broker dealers will eventually fall in line with that. But I tell you that's absolutely not the case currently. But for, for this particular firm, again, that, that thinks of it as a corporate RA, I, I certainly give them credit for that. Um, and then the other, the other example I was going to give is you do see uh, independent broker dealer firms rolling out, as they say, IAR only uh, offering. So investment advisor representative only offering. So that's an advisor that's, say that advisor that's in that 99% uh, fee-based situation that I explained just a minute ago, uh, the, the uh, counterpoint from the firms back to that advisor is, oh, hey, as opposed to going into that RA model, how about this? How about we let you drop your seven? 
So you're not tied to our broker dealer, but you can stay under essentially the corporate RA. And so we call it IAR only. Um, and so you can have all this as the sales pitch. You can have all the, the, the benefits of an RA model without having to go anywhere. And we've got it right here. Um, I, I think that's, that's, that's better than not doing anything. Um, I would tell you though, I was talking to an advisor recently who had made that move at her firm. Again, we won't name firms from that more traditional independent broker dealer channel into the, the firm's kind of newly established IA, IAR only channel. And I asked her, I said, have you really noticed much difference from a flexibility standpoint, from a compliance standpoint, anything like that? Because you're, you're no longer tied to FINRA, you're not tied to the broker dealer. And her response was not at all. And I think the challenge there that that is the intent is to make that more flexible because you don't have FINRA involved anymore. You don't have the broker dealer involved anymore. But the firm as a whole, again, was historically built on this commission apparatus, uh, has a, just this, this legacy of a, a FINRA legacy with it and all the compliance that's been built out, which you still need compliance in the RA world, but it's most likely the same department, the same people that are trying to manage both of these. And they just still have that legacy mindset of things you can and can't do because of some FINRA rule or broker dealer situation or whatever. So in her case, yes, it is an IAR only channel. Maybe she doesn't have to do FINRA continuing ed and all that, but from a flexibility standpoint, it, it, she, she feels there hasn't been any difference at all. Now, I think those offerings will continue to evolve to where hopefully that's not the, the answer we hear from that, but as it stands now, it is. So to the degree you're looking at that, I'd say, hey, just compare that to what options are available in the, the standalone RIA space and see which one might be better for you or not. So uh, a, a lot of information there, just... Uh, different things to be thinking about. And again, the main takeaway there is just don't, don't assume, okay, if I'm an employee model now, oh, that's a step too far. Again, I hear that, I hear that from time to time. Uh, it's generally always based on misconceptions. Hopefully this video has helped, but this episode has helped you uh, realize that, hey, you just, you just got to peel the onion back, dig into this further. And, and that for some of you, that will be the best path. That independent broker dealer will be the best path. For many more of you though, most likely that RA model would be the better fit. So with that, like I said, my name is Brad Wales, and, and this is the sort of thing I help advisors with all day long is to talk to an advisor. They tell me their situation. They tell me what the, the makeup of their current practice is, what they're looking to do, what they're hoping to do. And we, we think through these options and talk through these options and how they all work. Uh, again, I do that all day long with advisors. Happy to have that conversation with you as well. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head on over to transition to RIA.com, Again, like I said, at the top of the episode, you can find all my resources, the videos, the podcasts, the white papers. And at the top of every page is a contact link. Uh, you can uh, click on that and you can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me to talk about today's topic or anything else RA related. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value in today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.